Hello and welcome to The Reading Ramble. On this episode, we talked to Lancashire author Nick Oldham. Nick was kind enough to join us recently for a discussion about his books, about his popular Henry Christie series, about how he names and develops characters, what the writing procedure is like for him, and what it's been like to be a novelist during the pandemic. I hope you enjoy this episode. I thought I'd start by uh, asking you about the writing process for you and how you found um, writing in the pandemic. Um, have you been able to be more productive, less productive than normal? Has it been a? How's it been for you? I think uh, I'm assuming, and I might be wrong, that most writers will probably say that uh, the actual process of writing has not been much different. Um, because writers, of course, sit on the at their desks and write, and that you know, and that's what they do. And it tends to be a bit of a, a bit of a lonely thing to start with. So uh, you know, and I know the pandemic has affected a lot of people in a lot of different ways. But to, to be to be fair to me, what I mean, what we decided to do straight away was um, follow all the guidelines and and instructions as regards the pandemic and. But that really didn't affect too much of the way that we lived anyway, I think, because um, I sit at home and write. Um, my wife's recently retired. And, um, you know, our, our hobbies, our home anyway. Um, and it was just that all the things that you would normally do, um, so, you know, such as going shopping maybe twice a week, that we just cut that down and we spent as little time as possible in shops um, over, over the last sort of, almost 18 months i suppose yeah and probably the last time we were out really was march got uh, here last march when we were in london for a short time but after that all the holidays got cancelled and um, we've rebooked things three times on the trot but but what i do is stay at home and write um and so in, in that respect it's not really affected us too much mm-hmm. um you know, and we've been lucky in terms of that the family haven't really suffered with uh, COVID at all. We haven't had any losses or great illnesses. People have caught it. Yeah. We've kind of come through it as well. Uh, yeah. So we kind of, you know, we've become hermits a little bit. <laughs> a bit more than we used to be, I think. Um, but it, hopefully it's opening out a little bit now. So. It's funny from a, a reader's perspective. I think a lot of people have found solace in reading and have read probably more than they would have done normally and sort of conversely some people have probably at least early on in it during the, just maybe the first lockdown people were struggling we were hearing to to, to concentrate on books and I, myself I was returning to a lot of books that I'd read yeah. previously just sort of knowing that I could I, I didn't have to concentrate as much I knew yeah. the characters a little bit more do you think that, that might be something that your readership might have done especially with the books being series in a series it, maybe there's a bit of a familiarity thing there yeah i think i've, I've heard from um, several readers that they've gone back to number one and started reading them through again which is great and you know it's lovely to hear but i do think there is a, a bit of a comfort in that as well and moving on to new books is quite hard and myself i mean obviously I think if you're a writer, you've got to be a reader as well. Um, whereas I, I've always I've stuck with the writers that I know 
over the last year, with one or two exceptions of you know some new writers who've who really hit the mark with me. Um, but I, you know, people like Michael Connolly and, and the American writers who I particularly like, I've, I've stuck with them, and they and they've managed to produce lots of stuff plus the plus TV stuff as well. You know, yeah. Bosch on TV is yeah. fantastic. Yeah, we've just binged the, the the latest series of Bosch. It was yeah, well, we're just sort of about a third of the way through that, really. Um, and but that's been helpful as well in terms of having to sit down and watch things. And, and I don't like binge watching, but if I don't keep up to date with Bosch, at the end of an episode, we'll often look at each other and my wife and go, I didn't quite see where we're up to with that. But uh, but yeah, I think reading has has, has really there's been a comfort for people um you know there's been quite a, a surge in sort of ebook sales and things like that which is great for us obviously as writers um and people have rediscovered reading you know a lot of people who do have busy jobs and don't seem to have the, have had the time and, and, and have ended up having to be living at home and spent more time reading and uh, and there is a comfort in going back to old series and, and following them through and thinking oh yes oh, i forgot that bit um yeah. oh that's interesting and oh what a big mistake he's made there so <laughs> you know with me i mean you know as a writer and uh, perhaps people were quite watching some of the old film i like watching re-watching films as well and you know and you just i spend more time looking at the background and continuity than the, the story maybe as well yeah. on the story but, uh, but writing for me over the last year has not been really all that much different. Um, I, produce, I was under contract to produce two. Um, they are Scarred, as you've mentioned, and Transfusion. Plus there's others coming out in paperback as well, um, which um, I think Bad Timing is coming out in paperback. Yeah. Bad Timing is out in paperback this next month. So... Um, and that's what would have happened normally anyway. Yeah. And I uh, and hopefully I'm just about to sign up for another two. So my, my whole of next year from probably the end of July is is taken up now with writing another two books. I think it's uh, it's fascinating how authors put together the stories and the sort of different processes that they employ. And I was it was something I was thinking about. Uh, yesterday and this morning so my my wife's taking a creative writing course at the minute and they had a, a session yesterday where they were talking about um how they name characters so this morning we were taking my son to school and we walked through a graveyard so we were looking at the graves and we were picking yeah. a forename off one and yeah. a surname off the other and then yeah. sort of creating a great character name and then putting together a character for them oh, yeah yeah do you have kind of similar magpie-like techniques? Do you collect things for, for characters and things in your stories? Well, a, a, a little bit. I mean, one of the things that I do is almost what you're saying there, but perhaps not in the graveyard. <laughs> is I'll turn around and I look at, uh, at my bookshelves and point it. There's a bookshelf at the back here, and and I will do that kind of mix and match thing sometimes. And there was one. I, think, I don't know if the book's on there, but there was a book. Uh, about African mammals that just happened to be on there, which was written by two very unusually named people. Who, who I can't, for the life of me, can't remember who they are now. 
But as I was looking, because I was looking, I had a pair of killers in one of the books, and I was looking to give them sort of unusual names um, that would even say something about them as well. And I just saw this pair of one was an illustrator and one was the writer of this book, and uh, and I thought that's they're perfect. So I did. To be fair, I pinched them from I think, I think it was a field guide of African mammals or something like that. But I do it all the time, and I'll look up and you know see different. I'm, I'm looking at a picture there of Charlie Watts, the Rolling Stones drummer, and I'm thinking, well. I might easily end up with a, a name that's a mix of Charlie and something else eventually. And the funny thing is as well, even though, I mean, some people are brilliant with names. John Grisham makes wonderful names for his characters. Uh, as a bit, a bit like Charles Dickens, really. His names are, remind me of um, John Grisham type stuff. Um, but it, I always find that whatever it's, name you come up with as you write the book the character be- becomes the name as well you know yeah. even, so even if it's john smith or paulus paulus jones something like that they, somehow the character rolls into that name even if it's a simple name because you know i don't angst over character names particularly although henry christie to be fair did go through a lot of changes but that was over a lot of years as well before he actually became published because you met me prior to him being published i was rejected many times <laughs> over the over the 1980s and into the 1990s and and i went through a succession of names for the characters in the books and eventually henry christie came out from somewhere i don't know it's certainly nothing to do with agatha christie um, but you, you know, he he went through a lot of names, and another one that I wrote about um, three books about, about Steve Flynn, who's uh, who was a, a supporting character in one of the Henry Christie books, and I liked him so much that I pitched it to the uh, publisher. Would you be interested in a stack? Because I thought he was good enough to have one standalone for himself. Um, they came back and said, no, you've got to do two, which was good news. And then I did a third as well, and that became a sort of trilogy. But Steve Flynn's, I, I looked at it the other day, and I, there's loads and loads of names right across several pages until I came to Steve Flynn. And I don't know, I'm not saying that's the most inventive name ever, but just somehow fitted that character. Yeah. You know, it was a bit, a bit hard, um, a bit gruff, and it just kind of suited him as... Whereas Henry Christie, I think, is a bit more, he's soft in a lot of ways. Henry Christie is a more complex character than Steve Flynn. You know, he's brave and he's sometimes he's a coward and he's, he's just, sometimes he's very good with his, his personal life and sometimes he's terrible with his personal life. But I think Steve Flynn is just a, he's just a shark, really. Um, but um, Henry Christie's name is that. I just think it, it gives him a bit more depth to his character and it just works for him yeah. somehow although i've had people say well why have you called him blooming henry christie and christie's not a blooming lancashire name yeah. <laughs> you know if you put in a swear word instead of blooming um i said yeah it isn't a lancashire name particularly but 
it fits in. You know, yeah. Well, so, uh, so, I suppose, yeah, you've obviously written the, the Steve Flynn series and I think a couple of standalone stories as well. But is there a comfort for you in the character you've created in Henry Christie? Do you, um, do you feel like you know him and you kind of know how he thinks? Uh, I think so. It's a bit of a double-edged sword as well. I mean, you can get too comfortable, I think. Um, but I, I, I like to start off feeling comfortable with him and then I'll, I'll, I'll try and put him in an uncomfortable position so that I don't feel comfortable all the time with him. Um, I do feel like I know him inside out. So, you know, chronologically, the books, uh, you know, with the exception of one that went back a little bit earlier to tell him to tell a, a tale of him as he was a bit, a bit of a younger lad, the books basically pick up from when he's about, say, 40, and chronologically through the years uh, have followed his life and career and his love life and his married life and all that kind of stuff and um so you do get comfortable with him i do kind of think he's probably a bit of me you know he's he, but i say he's braver than me and i hope he, and sometimes he's stupider than me <laughs> um uh, but and i was now as you know i was a police officer um i was never a detective i was just on the front line really uniform most most of the service um but I also think that I'm kind of thinking about the questions you might ask, and um, I do think that I have a little bit of freedom with Henry as well, because I've got a fairly solid readership, and I and I might be making an assumption here, but I also like to think that they my readers quite enjoy reading about Henry Christie without a plot as well. I mean, the books are very plot-driven, but when I do take a moment to spend a bit of time with Henry Christie, I can, I think I can get away with it a little bit, you know, and, and give his thoughts and feelings on things that, and, and not just have to keep pushing forward all the time. Um, so I do like to relax with him, and I, and I hope, and I, I think my readers do the same as well, you know, they like a little bit of banter, you know, I can have a page of banter with him um, that doesn't have to be the plot, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, um, so, and Steve Flynn's a little bit like that as well, but he, I mean, he, he reappears in Transfusion, by the way, he comes back. Okay. He's not, it's not, it's a Henry Christie story, but he Flynn's back in that as well, so, because I had a story to finish with Flynn. Because uh, I'm looking at a list of the books here. The, the three Steve Flynn books, uh, more by accident than, de than design, became a trilogy of him taking on a certain um, organised crime group. Um, but I still want to tell a little bit more about that. And I, I you know, put that into the next book, which is Transfusion, of course. That's that right, Ron? So, yeah. Um. I don't know if that answered the question. Yeah, I think, I think it did, yeah. Um, obviously, we've, we've talked a bit about, about Henry Christie already, but for people that might not have read um, all the series or, or, or any of the series, um, do you want to tell us a bit about the backstory to Henry Christie and, and that series of books? 
Well, uh, the backstory is that um, Henry Christie starts off, as I say, around about the age of 40, and he's, he's been a cop for almost 20 years. By the time you, you come along with it, you, you, you uh, engage with him as a reader. And in the first book, he starts off as a detective sergeant who is on what was then the Regional Crimes Court, because we're going back 25 years now, and the Regional Crimes Court does morph into other things now. It doesn't exist anymore. But he was a DS on the Regional Crime Squad. Um, but he had a sort of... I say he was linked to Blackpool as well. So he, um, and ultimately, he came off the Regional Crime Squad and, and I started using Blackpool as, as, as a basis, really, for the Henry Christie stories, even though it's going to spread out a little bit more since then. Um, and he, he starts off as... A DS. Um, he's married. He's got two kids who are around about ten and eleven years old. So you, you know, he come into his life halfway through his life, really. Um, and he's he's always been very victim focused as a as a detective, as a cop. Um, it, it's always been about uh, caring for victims, and um, and that leads on to him eventually becoming um, a senior investigating officer. As the books progress, he, he rises slowly through the ranks. He's not, not a particularly popular fellow with his, uh, his colleagues, and he rubs a lot of people up the wrong way. And a lot of that is probably to do with... I mean, in reality, if you become a detective superintendent, you're very rarely at the front line. But... But because he's in fiction, he's got to be at the front line, and and that. But I use that as one of the things that um, annoys his um, his compatriots, his people at, at, at various rank, the ranks that he is, because they see him doing things that really he shouldn't be doing, and that annoys them. Um, and he's a bit brash with them. And um, but what he what drives him, as I'm saying, as he becomes a senior investigating officer, is the he then fight, um, one of the books is called Fighting for the Dead. It is about him, you know, he's the, he's, he sees the, he's the last line of somebody who's been killed, murdered or whatever. He, he sees it as his job to tie up the, the loose ends for that person and their family. And that's what drives him, really. It is, and, you know, and he kind of believes in the rights of the villains as well, but he will. You know, he'll bend the rules if he has to, but he, but he knows how far he can bend them as well. That's the other thing. He'll never break them, um, which will handy when Steve Flynn came along because Steve Flynn could break the rules for him sometimes. But, uh, but that's kind of what drives him. You know, the stories are all, hopefully, they're all a bit different. Somebody once said to me that I don't have um, one particular way of writing a story. They're not rehashing. I hope they're not rehashes of things, you know, and, the, and they look at different, you know, the Depends what floats my boat at the moment, probably from like drug dealing to people trafficking to just I say a straightforward murder. There's no, there's no such thing as a straightforward murder, even if it's all, and again, the word only, even if it's only a domestic murder, it's never a straightforward, there's nothing straightforward about a murder. And although, you know, there, there's political stuff in, there's um, stuff about the mafia, 
Um, you know, all those kind of things that are chucked in um, just to make them interesting and so that I enjoy what I'm writing as well. The books follow him chronologically, which therefore means that, of course, he ages. Yeah. Well, that's another little thing. So if he starts off around about the age of 38 to 40 and is a DS, that means in about 20 years, whether he likes it or not, he's got to retire. Um, so I kept him on as long as I possibly could. And then he has retired and he now is, lives in rural, rural Lancashire where he runs a pub with his, um, ex, I say ex fiance his dead fiance's daughter. That's it, that's, but you'd have to read to find out why all that happened, of course. Uh, and, and he's one of these that's um, a bit like Bosch, I think, in a way, because Bosch, and I truly have not copied anything, uh, Bosch has <laughs> gone beyond uh, working for LAPD to, um, you know, to a, like a civilian role investigating crime. And Henry Christie can't sort of shake off the need to investigate crime and you know, it'd be pointless for me to retire in and try and tell a story about a, a landlord running a pub. It doesn't do anything, really. So, it's not uh, quite you know, what your listeners signed up for, your readers signed up for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's... Um, but that's a new challenge for me as well, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it, it somehow realistically, to bring him as a retired detective into still doing, uh, you know, to, to still investigating crime and getting involved in crime, uh, in Scarred, it's, um, this was about Henry becoming, his previous colleagues have been very adamant that he should become a civilian investigator, and he's, he's held that at arm's length for a while. But it, it, but this is written, the pandemic is actually features a little bit in here. Uh, without, you know, people have still got on with their lives during the pandemic, you know, and so this, it's not just in passing, but it's... Uh, it's part of one of the, part of the reason why Henry actually becomes a civilian investigator because there's a bit of money in it, you know, and the short of money, they've had to close the pub, you know, and reopen the pub and then close the pub and all that sort of stuff. Um, so he takes on the role of a temporary investigator with with, with a constabulary and ends up with a very brash, volatile DS who is his boss, a, a lady. There's a lot of talk these days about you can't write things about different characters. You can't write about people. I love writing about her. She's, I think she's brilliant, personally. And I hope that everybody will enjoy her. Um, and she gives Henry the ride of his life. He, he, you know, he can hardly keep up with her. Uh, and they uncover this um, conspiracy that's been going on under their noses for the last 30-odd years. In, in this book, and uh, that's been good to do. And, and this starts off with Henry going back to the ni- 1980s, and he gets involved in stuff there, and then it leaps forward into the pandemic and tells the story of him and this DS uncovering some of the stuff that links back to the 1980s. Which was I think, a, it's, I think a, it's fascinating um, how you've, you've mentioned about how you've sort of weave the pandemic into it. I think it'll be interesting to see how that is covered in in various forms of, of arts, um, whether we'll see, you know, music as a result of the pandemic, like sort of referencing it and television shows. I mean, I, I don't watch a lot of soap operas. I, I don't watch any soap operas, but I don't know if they've kind of woven it into their stories and if people have been walking around in masks and 
there's, there's a, a brief allusion in, in yeah. Bosch, I think, in that new series, wasn't there, at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've not seen it, but I presume it will sort of filter into things. At some I, point. I suppose it will have to. I know a lot of writers have, have avoided it, um, which is fair enough. Um, but I, I kind of just wanted to, to incorporate it, to, almost just to say that people still have to get on with their lives. Uh, and as much as, you know, he'll sit in a car with this uh, new D, this DS that he's working with and have to wear a mask, you know, still have to do things. And cop, coppering still goes on. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you still have to turn out and, and, and deal with jobs where the people who you, you're going to a, an incident with won't have a mask on. They won't be social distancing because they might be fighting each other, they might be fighting you. And, you know, how do you deal with all that? And that kind of a little bit of a thread through that book, I think, as well. So, having had a career in in the police force, how has that affected the stories? Is it something that you consciously or subconsciously refer to incidents that you were um, involved with, or that you attended, perhaps, or is it to to a degree? Yes, uh, I mean a lot of it is is uh, hopefully down to being creative and thinking and doing a bit of brainstorming and getting a lot of things together but some of them i'm looking at these now i mean i, I once uh, i once had a conversation whilst i was still in the job and i was well whilst, whilst i was in the job i was probably writing one book a year whilst still working and i, I had a sort of off-the-cuff conversation with a, an inspector who was a friend of mine who um, who was involved in uh, what he did was proofread operational orders to make sure they made sense and all that kind of stuff and not that he was involved in the operations but that, you know people give him the operate an operational order for an event that's coming up but one of the ones that he uh, was proof proofreading and, and critiquing was um for a, a visit of a, a dignitary shall we say to blackburn who was it was actually condoleezza rice visit. i mean she came to visit blackburn rovers because she i remember um, it yeah um the, the MP, Jack Straw, wasn't it? Straw, yeah, uh, invited her. Um, but she had to travel from Liverpool. I'm pointing to Liverpool here, but even though I'm in forward. She had to travel by road from Liverpool to... Uh, I'm not giving anything away here, by the way. But she had to travel by road from Liverpool to Blackburn. So this inspector was reading the operational order. So she travelled from Liverpool and then the Merseyside would hand the job over to Lancashire at the border, if you will. And uh, he, he said... See, I was reading this and I thought, I wonder if they've actually checked whether it's dustbin day on the route, somewhere on the route. And um, and it, it, it almost like, because what would happen in dustbin day is that along the route there'd be like hundreds and hundreds of dustbins, any one of which could have had a bomb in it. Because, you know, that's that was, that was the kind of job that he had to do, you know, to, to bring up these things. But that, that conversation put a whole idea in for me uh, to write a book, which be, uh, became, I think, I'm looking down here, Critical Threat. And I used the visit of Condoleezza Rice, the actual reality of that, but I told a story underneath about somebody who wanted to assassinate her. I, I kind of wanted it to be a bit Day of the Jackal kind of thing, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, you know, there, there, there are things that I, I picked up from the job that, that influenced what I wrote a little bit, but more the majority of it is is fiction. So do you have to keep up with kind of um, 
the correct like the modern terminology and the structures and things like that or you just kind of play fast and loose a bit with that yeah fast and loose. Oh, <laughs> the beauty of when i was writing when i was in the police is that i knew law procedure policies and when to write fiction i knew how to get around those and keep it fairly real and, but what i found was i, I, mean, I retired in 2005 so um, a couple of years had gone after that, I started to realise, even though I knew people in the police, um, I started realising I didn't know as much as I used to. What happened then, I think, was that Henry Christie spent less time dealing with procedural stuff that happened in police stations, and, but more time out dealing with stuff that was happening outside. And they became probably more thrillerish rather than procedural. And so I still know a lot about Police procedure, police procedure, but I, I do still, like I say, play a little bit fast and loose with it as well. But there's a, there is still a certain grounding of reality in what I do. I mean, you know, I talk about the cold case unit on, in this neck in Scarred. Um, you know, I know people who've been on the cold, cold case unit, but I wanted the cold case unit to be a little office that nobody really wanted to know. And that's, you know, that's not really the reality of cold cases. You know, they're very sort of fashionable now. So, but the, I'm just going to talk about procedure, police procedure and thrillers. I, I always thought, to be honest, that I wrote thrillers anyway, but I, I was always surprised when people said, oh, no, it's a police procedural. I, I don't think there's a lot of difference, really, personally. No. And you can jump from one to the other. Certainly Harry Bosch, what is he? He's a, I think he's a thriller. With Harry Bosch, he just happens to be a cop. That's the way I, I see it. So, but, yeah, I, I knew less and less. And then, of course, you come to the point where Henry has to retire because he's not Dixon of Doc Green in his 80s. He's got to, you know, can't be being a cop forever. Um, so I, I need to brush up more now on what's, what it's like to be a licensee. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reading Ramble. And thanks especially to Nick Oldham for giving the time to speak to us for this episode. Like me, I'm sure you found it a fascinating insight into the life of a writer. You can check out Nick's novels in your local Lancashire library and also on Borrowbox, our ebook app. Let us know what you think of the Reading Ramble on social media at Lanks Libraries. See you next time.